everybody, uh, Sports and Songs Instagram message. Today is Baseball Eve, night before opening, night for baseball. Yeah, no, I mentioned, no, I would rather they didn't have the season and just kind of call it. So I'm going to have it, I'll take it. Here's the thing, 60-game season. Going to be a lot of asterisks by it. Is this champion a real champion? Is a Cy Young winner a real Cy Young winner? Is the batting champion a batting champion? Mm-hmm. Here's some of the other things. Some you know, records aren't going to be broken. There's not going to be a home run record this year or anything else. But there's one record to think about. 62-game extreme. This is the whole season, so obviously that one's not going to get touched. Or is it? Because the hitting streak, say you had five hits at the end of last year, and you get a hit in every game this year. Do you break the hitting streak? <clears throat> That's up for debate. Hopefully it doesn't happen, but if it does happen, it'd be a great debate. <clears throat> the other records that come up, of course, 60 games, starters are going to get what? 10, 12 starts this year? So your records aren't going to be that great. Is someone going to win seven games because they're a Cy Young Award winner? <clears throat> Is 15, 20 saves going to be really that great a number to get a great reliever record or to base your numbers off for your contract next year? Hey, I, I won so many games, but it was a percentage of your starts. That's the argument they're going to give. Say someone hits 400 this year. Does that count as a 400 batting average for the year? Debatable. It would be kind of cool to see someone have a 403 batting average and have it come up for debate. That would be fun. It would be a fun debate. Is there an asterisk by it? Sure. Just like a strike short in season. Um, those teams who won those championships, they still won a championship. But... No one takes that away from them. You got your ring, you got your trophy, you got your check. Wonderful. You still got to win them. You still got to win it. I don't care about 60 games or 162 games. Those are the rules everybody's playing by. It's not like they said, hey, this team plays 60 games, the rest of you play 162. Everybody's playing the same amount of games. So, therefore, if you win the championship, God love you. Go with it. Wave your flag high. You earned it because you all played by the same rules. Now, with that said, if you win a batting title or a Cy Young title or something this year, be careful who you brag to. <laughs> you know, um, if you hit 400, be careful who you brag to. But you, you did it. That was the rules for the season. You hit 400 in that season. But you got to also remember, you were playing a third of the games. So don't get too cocky if you do it. Um, but if you win it, be cocky all you want. You played by the same rules as everybody else. You won that championship. Congratulations. The only thing I'm concerned of, but it's like an injury, if someone has to lose a player because of illness, because of the COVID or the coronavirus, whatever you're going to call it, that'd be just like them getting an injury. So I don't want to hear the excuses. But you've all had time to get ready for it. You've all had time to get ready. The only team that maybe could have an excuse is the Franco Blue Jays. I'm recording this baseball leave Wednesday night. The Blue Jays, the Toronto Blue Jays, for those of you who failed geography, that we can't travel to Canada from the U.S. back and forth freely. And the Canadian government said, sorry, Toronto Blue Jays, you can't do that as a baseball team. We're not going to allow other teams in and out. No. So the Blue Jays have nowhere to play their home games right now. Their minor league park doesn't have efficient lighting at night. It's good enough for the minor leaguers, but not good enough for the major leaguers. They were going to play in Florida where the spring training is. But you know what? Florida's not really the place you want to be right now with all the outbreaks out there. 
Yeah, we got two major league teams. Pittsburgh Pirates have offered up their stadium for them to use. I haven't compared schedules yet. I don't know if there's any conflicting dates. Um, are the Blue Jays going to maybe borrow from a couple other stadiums? The thing is, if there's no fans there, I don't see the big deal. I really wish baseball would have said, hey, you teams in the East that are playing these games, <clears throat> we want to cut down on travel. We should just narrow it down to three different stadiums to play them all in, or four stadiums. Four in the Central, four in the West, instead of letting everybody travel freely like this. Not for the aspect of someone getting sick, but for the aspect of someone getting sick. It's less travel. We have these four stadiums. That's where the games are being played. Some stadiums may have a doubleheader that day. There's no fans. Who cares? Right? You get the crew in, out, done. A little bit later, the next team's come in and out, done. You play a, a game at 10 in the morning, another one at 7 at night. Who cares? There's no fans. You get your games played. We could have got through it. But, you know, that's why I sit here on the couch doing a podcast, not Major League Baseball's offices. But baseball's back. Past, so we're grabbing years future. But it's better than nothing. Enjoy it. But don't. Please don't. Don't hold it against anybody what's going on. These guys all said they'd do it. The players are sitting out. Don't be mad at them. They want to sit out for their reasons. Let them. Managers, umpires, they want to sit out. Let them. That's their choice. People at your office don't want to come to work. That's their choice. Just enjoy the games for what they are. Just have a good time. And remember, let's go Mets. Welcome to Sports and Songs Podcast for today. It's episode 31. 31. This is Dan and Andy here joining you live on our Facebook program. Uh, we got a lot of sports to go through today. A lot of music, a lot of information, birthdays. But Andy, how about you start it off with your segment? All right, yeah, we'll start off with some NASCAR information. Um, NASCAR did release this week that they're not going to have any more practicing or qualifying for the races for the rest of the year, which they haven't been doing this year anyway. It's all been uh, a draw they had beforehand, a couple days before the draw. See your positions. It's been going that way, so so they're going to keep it up. Also, the current standings for uh, the Chase for the Cup, which is their playoffs, uh, what it is is that they take the top 16 drivers. If you win a race, you're in. Um, as you can see by the standings, Denny Hamlin... Harvick, they've won multiple races. So you're, you're only in once. You can't do that. But you see the last few positions there by points is how it's determined afterwards. Those in red are those, or the negative numbers are the ones audited. It's pretty high-tech math there to figure that out. Top 16 make it. Then they kind of do a bracket format. They cut down after that. You win, you're in. Um, so some guy who's not even listed on that list could win a race next week or the week after, and boom, he's in. That, cut, that drops Brian down. So it's very important to, just because you're not on there, you still have a chance. You're not out of it, which is kind of fun, kind of neat. But there's the up-to-date standings after the last race in Kansas this week. That's where the drivers are all sitting. Um, they've started having some crowds back at NASCAR, and drivers seem to like it. Things are going pretty good there as far as NASCAR goes, um, except Bubba Wallace still has his foot in his mouth. Um, Major League Baseball returned last night, um, well, two days ago, Thursday night. Full slate was last night. Uh, games are going, cardboard cutouts in the crowds, a lot of different teams, stadiums doing different things. Uh, like we mentioned before, the Oakland A's are having, where their fans could put a picture in there, and if the foul ball hits your picture, they send it to you. 
I believe the Dodgers are having um, pictures of the players' kids and stuff like that. So they're all having kind of fun with it. Um, it's kind of neat, kind of breaks it up a little bit. We'll see how it goes. Uh, games went pretty good. Uh, the teams are, they've piped in sound like, so like if the home team does something good, you're hearing cheers. If they're bad, boos. They still have the PA announcers and the rally songs trying to make it comfortable for the players. But baseball is back, yes, but there is a few rule changes. Um, there was going to be rule changes this year anyway. They've tweaked a few of those because of the situation. Um, what some of the tweaks is this year, it's a universal designated hitter, which helped the Mets out the other day with Cespedes DHing coming back from that injury. Um, extra innings. A runner will start at second base. I know that was something they were thinking of doing anyway. They are definitely doing it now. I think a lot of these rules are going to try now during this to see if they want to do it. Suspended games. If the weather forces a game to be cut short before it's official, it will be continued at a later date rather than started from scratch. Um, and they were going to tweak some things about position players being able to pitch. That was all getting kicked around as, oh, you have so many two-way players and this and that. I think for the sixth game season, they're just letting it go. Um, they are calling an unsportsmanlike conduct rule that players and managers will be expected to maintain physical distance from all umpires and opposing players on the playing field whenever possible. Uh, players and managers leave the argued position. They must be within six feet away. Bobby Cox, Tom Kelly, Earl Weaver, these guys would have never made it during this. Holy cow, I can just imagine what would happen there. So you won't see a lot of managers come up to argue if they do the guy say six feet away. Yeah, that's going to happen. A wet rag. Pitchers will be allowed to carry a wet rag instead of going to their mouth all the time. Which I think for a pitcher is going to be a hard habit. First of all, I said no spitting for players. Anyone who's played baseball since you were five, you spit. That's part of the game. Pitchers going to their mouth. It's part of the game. So they're able to keep a little wet rag with them to keep their fingers moist. We'll see how that goes. I'm surprised no one hired Gaylord Perry as a pitching coach right now during all this. All the junk he could put on a rag for him. Uh, but, again, that's a nervous habit. These pitchers going to their mouth. So we'll see how hard that is going to be for them to change. Um, kind of keeping with our local teams here. Uh, Twins are our local team. Um, me being a Mets fan, we've kind of adopted the Mets as the home team. So you hear a lot of Mets news and Twins news. Here's a little bit for everybody. The Mets signed Brian Dozier. Um, not really in minor league contracts. They don't have minor league contracts for this. You're on your roster when you're extras. Kind of like on your fantasy baseball team, you have your bench players. That's what Dozier is going to be. Um, Dozier, yeah, I think he finished up with the Padres last year. At the end of the season, or Nationals, I mean. So he's got a ring. He really fell off after that big home run season he had here. Was he juiced? Was he happy? Who knows? Whatever. We're just talking about beforehand how Dozier had all the home runs that year. He had like close to fifty or whatever. Anyway, he's he's only thirty three, which yeah, young to me, but baseball wise, he's getting up there. Um, he he did play shortstop in his career too, so he's second short. He's on that extra roster for the Mets because the Mets aren't real certain about their uh, infield position. We'll see how that goes. But Dozier's there. Uh, Lagares also re-signed with the Mets. He was with them before. He's back again. So the Mets have re-signed a couple. Other players to have on there. Um, as you know, we've talked about the Australian Baseball League. There's 15 players active right now for them. And if you saw the Twins game last night, three of them were there. That was pretty neat. Two for the Twins and one for the White Sox. Um, Left-handed pitcher Lewis Thorpe out of Melbourne and outfielder Aaron Whitefield of uh, Besborn for, for the Twins roster. And the White Sox... Have a player also. Um, I know Oakland had a starting pitcher go the other day. 
Um, so there's 15 of them. Uh, we have a link on our Facebook page about the Australian Baseball League players being in the majors. They're pretty close to a AAA equivalent. Their league, I would say, from watching Australian baseball, is kind of like watching AAA ball. Uh, the Korean Baseball League we've been watching, I would say, would be more of a AA, AA, and that's no rip on them. I'm not saying they're bad athletes or players, but equivalent to what we have here. Um, Japanese baseball is pretty close to Major League. You see some Japanese guys come straight over. You see a handful of Korean guys, a little more than that of the Australian guys coming over. More and more of the Australian guys, actually. They're kind of using that as another minor league system in a way. It's kind of like a free minor league. Yeah, you got to buy the contracts out, but you're not paying them all year long. So it's, it's working out pretty good for uh, Major League Baseball and those guys. But baseball's back. We'll have more in-depth stuff in the weeks coming up. It just started this weekend. Uh, like I said, we recorded this Saturday afternoon, evening. So we're not going to give any Saturday scores or Sunday scores for tomorrow because we don't know for sure. All I know is the Mets won Friday night. So the Twins, that's all that really matters. Well, this is Dan. We've got some baseball news. And uh, just finishing up with the Major League Baseball there with, uh, with Andy. Major League Baseball, I did want to mention one additional thing. There was some confusion about the opting out. And I wanted to make sure... Um, everyone understands how that option was with the COVID here during this uh, during the COVID times. The players were able to opt out this season, um, meaning they didn't want to play. You're not going to get paid. Uh, you don't have to play. You don't have to deal with it. Come back fresh the, the next season. And the biggest name that catch Buster Posey. Now, Buster Posey says that I've got a big deal contract. I don't even want to waste it. Uh, I've got a young family at home. I do not want to run the risk of infecting or contaminating anybody. Uh, and I don't, I don't want to deal with it. So he has elected to opt out. That, that's his choice. The umpires get that choice. The player managers and the staff and the coaching staff get that choice. So a handful of players have done that. Now it's not up for to us as fans to criticize or to say, you know, what are you doing? What's the, what's the point of that? Everyone can make their own choice and it's up to them to do that. Now, the offset to that is Alex Cobb, a young pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles. He says, I finally worked my way up from the minors. Finally made the ball club team. I've got a young family at home as well. I don't have the option to opt out. I, I need the money. Uh, I may not make the, the, the team uh, next year. So he's a situation that says, you know what, to his wife and family, I'm going to go play baseball for three months. I'll stay out. I'm not going to come back and uh, visit the family during a three-month period. I'm going to stay out, play my baseball at home and away games, not going to infect anyone with the family because I need to bring home a paycheck. And it's his chance now to make the team and, and to do something this season because he actually needs to. So that's, there's the offset to some of these people who have either opted out or not opted out. Uh, once again, you all get the option to do it. It's not up, up to us, I guess, for the fans to criticize or not or to second guess or doubt. They, they each have the time and the, uh, the wherewithal to do that. So it's, it's, it's odd. And once again, umpires, more of the umpires are the older 
crowd uh, of the men who do umpires in Major League Baseball, they may have opted out to say, you know, I want to run a risk at this. Uh, I'm in my 60s. I'm in my 70s. And, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to insert myself in a situation uh, from a medical situation. So that's how the opting out works. Now, that also happens in local baseball, uh, local town team amateur over 35, over 50 league baseball, that does uh, happen. You do get the option in local town teams. There are some good good hitters, good pitchers in um, uh, amateur baseball in the state of Minnesota that said, you know what, I'm going to opt out this season. It's a shortened season anyway. I'm just not going to introduce myself, uh, introduce anything that could potentially happen. And so uh, they have an option to opt out. Uh, the, the bright side or the upside to that is there are players down farther on the depth chart who may not get a chance to play who now can come in and get some playing time. Um, so that's it. Town ball t- team baseball, the shortened season they're playing. In fact, the exciting thing now this weekend is it is the final weekend in regular season schedule for a ma- amateur state baseball. So the short season went so fast, we're into the final weekend right now, and I'm covering mainly the DRS and Crow River Valley League, and what a treat that we have. Uh, They're doing 13 to 16 game schedules. They had to pack them all in to get them all in, and now we're sitting here in the final weekend. Now in the Crow River Valley, we've got Waconia and Winstead, both of the W's as Watertown had slowly dropped off with a 7-3 and record, but Waconia was undefeated. Finally got beat by Young America this week. That was a shocker. Uh, Young America's good. That's not a shot, shot on them, but with Waconia's undefeated team in amateur baseball class C, they were ranked way up there. And in fact, Jordan, who was ranked number one in class C, got beat as well. So the nice thing with this is tomorrow, Sunday, July 26th, Winstead. Winstead Class C, who's surprising everybody with a 9-1 record, plays at home against Waconia to wrap up the season. So what I'm going to do, Andy, I am going to go to the game, report on it for the next episode here at Sports and Songs. That should be a doozy. The impact there is that the winner is going to have that, uh, I think, first round bye and the higher seed, and that's going to be very interesting. Uh, Winstead's got a couple of younger players that have come up, and it's just surprising me. I've never actually been to their stadium, so I'm looking forward to going there because I've never, never actually been there. Now, playoffs are going to start July 28th, July 28th, which is Tuesday. And these are the, these are the first rounds in amateur baseball where they go through, and they'll weed out the, the weaker teams. Some teams will not make the playoffs at all, but these lower-hanging fruit will get a chance to get in and play uh, whether it's a best of three series or whatnot they still have a chance but this Crow River Valley League is tough and they played a lot of games in the DRS a lot of those teams have played five six seven games at this point and this Crow River Valley uh, most of those teams are in their 11th or 12th game uh, or, or yeah well 13 14 games already in so they are ahead of the game and those top teams in the Crow River are very tough, very tough to beat. So that's going to be the one I'm going to be watching myself, in fact, going to the game on Sunday. Now, once the playoffs are done, once the playoffs wrap up, 
it automatically culminates with, of course, the state baseball tournament. One of the pride and joys of the state of Minnesota is amateur baseball state tournament. Arguably the best state tournament in amateur baseball in the nation is, is right here in Minnesota. Now this year it's strange and odd. And I say that for two, for two reasons. New Ulm is hosting the state tournament. Now usually there's three sites, and there is again this year. But New Ulm has sites one and two that are both physically reside in the city of New Ulm. They've got two fields in New Ulm. And then there's a third site in Springfield, Minnesota, that's going to take the uh, backup games as the third alternative site. Typically, there's three cities with three a ball field in each city. Now, with the COVID this year, we've got an interesting thing that I want to bring up now. New Ulm went to a city vote just yesterday. They went to the city council because there's hesitation now on hosting the state tournament. And these things are arrived at four or five years in advance to get set up, to get the, the fields uh, ready, uh, the website set up, and things like that to promote the state tournament and the, and the amount of people coming into your town. New Alms in Brown County. Brown County is getting hit with a, a bunch of COVID, coronavirus um, related activities and stuff, negative stuff. The city council for New Ulm voted yesterday five to zero to not hold the state tournament in New Ulm at all this year, well, or within the city limits. So now the Minnesota State Baseball League has got themselves into a conundrum, the Minnesota State Amateur Baseball League. So Springfield which is just only the alternate site, may have to take more of the games if they're even going to have a state tournament. New Ulm has said and voted that they're not going to host anything. And you're talking 30, 40, 50,000 fans coming in on the last couple of weekends in August and Labor Day weekend in September for the finals. And when they host this, this is Class B and Class C. A lot of teams coming in. New Ulm has said as a city that they're out, they don't want to deal with it. So now the question is, which we don't know the answer to yet, who's going to host? Is there going to be a state tournament? Where are they going to play it? Now, that's the question. That is the question. There's some good teams, and of course, people look forward to driving down wherever the state tournament is hosted to watch those games and watch these uh, athletes play. Now, one thing is interesting. There was a pitcher from Gaylord who's playing amateur this year, but he's a professional minor league pitcher signed to a professional contract. Well, there is no minor league baseball this year. The minor league teams in Class A, AAA, AA, and Class Single A have essentially given the players the option to play baseball elsewhere this year. Well, this, this pitcher goes in and asks, can I go play amateur baseball? They give him the green light to do so. He signs up with Gaylord. They sign him on. Gaylord's the team that just beat Jordan this week, the Jordan Brewers Class C champions. So he may not be the only type of guy out there doing something like this, but it certainly raises the stakes because you've got minor league, active minor league ball players under contract that are being paid. 
now coming into the fold and playing amateur because they can. So I'll report more on this here uh, uh, this week or or on the next show. But that's a town ball update for this uh, for this week, Andy. Maybe I'll give you the secret pass where you can put something on Instagram if you want this week. <clears throat> pass that information on to you. Um, hockey news, NHL. Um, the Seattle area now has a team, the Kraken. The Kraken was a name voted on by the fans. Um, we put this on our Facebook page. You can see a picture of the logo there, their jersey. Um, it was suggested and championed by the fans, said the Seattle Kraken CEO, Tabuiki. The Seattle Kraken logo was created in partnership with Adidas. The logo is in the shape of an S in tribute of the Seattle Metropolitans, the first American hockey club to raise the Stanley Cup in 1917. Um, my daughter actually looked up this up because she saw the Kraken, and I think her exact words were, what the hell's a Kraken? Um, so she looked it up. Good for her. She's 20. She can use the internet. Um, she looked it up. Oh, sorry. No, Have you, has anyone heard that? I'm going to play it again. This is popular. And in fact, they actually have that on a shirt. Um, they've made that shirt, too. Um, it's a sea creature. You can see the S. It's got a little eye on there and fur and painted it. It's really kind of a cool-looking uh, sweater. Um, no no one's bought a sweater yet. I don't think we got it for sale yet. I was talking to some of my sources. I mean, my brother, who lives out in the greater Seattle-Tacoma metropolitan area. Um, the radio station he listens to out there... They've been having fun with this already. They've wanted this name for a while. The fans are going to have fun with it. They already know the, the fans will be called the Crackheads. They're going to play at the Crack House, according to the fans, you know, on the radio stations. People are just going to call them that. Everybody, why not? Have fun with it, run with it, go with it. Um, I'm kind of excited to see another team out on the West Coast. The thing is with Seattle, they got this team, and they're all fine and great and happy they got a team, but they really wanted an NBA team more than an NHL team, so we'll see how that goes. Portland's looking at maybe one of the other hockey team. Uh, Vancouver having hockey with Seattle. That could be a great rivalry right there. Get Vancouver off our backs for a while. Uh, switching into pro wrestling. Um, not talking AEW or TNA right now. Um, talking about the local local wrestling. Um, the AWF, Tony Danucci's wrestling he has here. <clears throat> August 8th, they're going to be holding shows on Ellsworth, Wisconsin. Um I think like about Danucci's organization with uh, the AWF. A lot of times we host these shows in these towns or at the high schools. A lot of the money goes back to the school. So that's pretty cool. Um, some of the rules, if you will, are things are asking that the show will be held outdoors. Um, there's going to be par barriers up, uh, social distancing for everybody. They're all going to have their fun with that. So that's the local wrestling, the AWF. That's kind of cool. Uh, professional wrestling. I'll probably do something more on Instagram this week about that. Just a couple things. You know we've talked about the NWA a lot. They had their own little YouTube channel going for a while. They haven't put anything up for about four weeks. There's been rumors that they might be sold or for sale. Oh, no, we're not for sale, they said. But funny, last couple weeks, last three weeks, a lot of NWA guys have been showing up on AEW Wrestling. Uh, Eddie Kingston was there. Uh, some other guys are showing up, coming up here. So we'll see what's going on. Our, is Tony Khan buying them? Is he helping finance, finance them? Or... The guys who own NWA, are they just saying, hey, you know what, if you guys want to wrestle there for now to stay in shape, go ahead, great. More on that coming up. WNBA, the Women's Basketball League. Um, their play does start today, and they are in the bubble. Um, 
this is the league's 24th season. They're going to take place in Florida, like everybody else, at IG, IMG Academy. Um, 22-game schedule for its 12 teams. Uh, the WNBA, I enjoy that more than the NBA to watch because, like I said before, the NBA, I think a lot of those guys, kind of like a lot of the major college basketball, yeah, they want to win, but they'd rather make Sports Center than win. WNBA, sure, they want to make Sports Center too, don't get me wrong, but they'd rather win or have good fundamental play. Um, so if you get a chance to catch some WNBA games, they are fun to watch, they're good teams. Uh, the links are down there. They're, again, pre- predicted to do fairly well this year. The links have a good club. Um, also about the NBA, the Minnesota Timberwolves um, are for sale. Um, if you happen to have $1.2 billion laying around, give Glenn Taylor a call. Um, one of the stipulations Glenn Taylor has, with, and the NBA is agreeing with it, if you buy the Timberwolves, they have to stay here. Okay, great. One of the names coming up is Kevin Garnett. Uh, former Minnesota Timberwolf. He would like to buy the team. He's got a big love for the area. I, I think a lot of it is he had a lot of respect for Flip Saunders. And I think his relationship with Flip, he kind of became buddies with Glenn Taylor that way, kind of a friend to a friend deal. But I think Kevin respects Minnesota for what they did for his career to help him out. We let him go to Boston to get his ring. We couldn't pay him and do what he had to do here. We respected that. And I think he respects us letting him do that. He came back here at the end of his career. was kind of like an unofficial coach, player coach, the last couple years. But I think if KG got the team, that would be kind of neat. Um, hopefully he gets maybe another couple guys in there with him. It'd be kind of cool to see him own the team, be back in there, kind of a face to help get... It'd be nice to have a space to get people here because basketball is becoming so... You want to go where your friends are or where the big city is or where the money is. But Garnett's still got enough pull and name in the league. Maybe people will come play for KG's team. We'll see how that goes. Might not work out good. I mean, everyone go play for Brooklyn because uh, Jay Z, I think, owns a team or some famous rapper owns a team there. They all want to go play for Jay Z's team. They stink, but they all want to go play for his team. Well, hopefully they'll come play for KG, and we won't stink. We'll see how it goes. But speaking of things for sale, Dan, well, I've got an interesting thing that came through the news this week. Uh, local state of Minnesota, have you all seen this? Want to buy a Twins, uh, former Twins, all tw- former Twin All Stars farmhouse Wonderland in Lakeville. This is Glenn Perkins's house. Glenn Perkins and family bought this house in Lakeville. Uh, he said it's on a piece of ten acres. He bought it for a million dollars years ago. Former Twins pitcher. It's now up for sale, and I'm going to bring up a couple photos here. He's going to sell it. Asking price is two million, but what comes with it? Is the pool? It's got an underground pool there with the house. Half of the house has uh, has ends like uh, it's a farmhouse setting. It's got a silo attached to the house. It's just for looks, just for ambiance. But he's ah. but he's selling it, and the house is is just uh, it's incredible. There is a he was doing some work with Surly for craft beers, and there's one of the barns has turned into a craft brewery that he helps uh, do some of his. Uh, a brewery with uh, in, you know making is craft brew. Now, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna show one other photo here. You're gonna you're gonna get a kick out of this here with the sports fans. Here is the ice arena. It's called the Mini Mariucci. Mini Mariucci. Check this out. He's got a shed, a pole shed with ice in it, with a rink built in, and it's uh, not only the pool. 
and the craft beer room. We've got the ice rink in enclosed ice rink to play some hockey. So it's a kid's child's wonderland. Uh, I'm not I'm not here trying to sell it uh, for the for the uh, realtor, but it's a two million dollar asking price for Glenn Perkins's house, and it's a brand new built home uh, several years ago. It's kind of like that curling place out in Chaska. We got curling in the bar right next to it. It's it's like the Crooked Pint, yes. Yeah. But uh, Glenn Perkins selling the house, and uh, like Andy said, if uh, wolves for sale, uh, anyone interested in that, you may have Glenn Perkins's house. It's out in a remote area of Lakeville sitting on 10 acres with a river flowing through it. He's a big fisherman, craft beer guy, and of course a sports sports guy, but uh, if you saw this article in the, uh, it was in the City Pages this week, uh, Mr. Glenn, uh, Glenn Perkins. Former gopher, I know he's a big hockey former, guy. Yeah, that's right, and I didn't know that that he's was a, a big, big hockey guy, yeah. Big hockey, so uh, he's got uh, all this stuff, it's really set up for sports, really geared up for the sports fan. He's really into the big pond hockey stuff too. Okay. That's why he always had those big backyard ponds and stuff, he was into that, hence that explains why you'd have an arena inside. So his place is for sale in Lakeville, but uh, that's all I've got for that. I thought there was some uh, some interest in Mr. Glenn Perkins, the former All-Star pitcher for the Twins. All righty, we're back with the next segment. Andy, what have we got this uh, this week for this episode here, 31? We got... Uh, uh... Sports, birthdays, and history. We'll start with that first. July 20th, 1912, Phillies Shirley Maggie steals home twice in one game. You don't see many guys stealing home anymore. Did it twice in one game. 1965, New York Yankees pitch, pitcher Mel Stahlmeyer hits an inside-the-park grand slam. Slightly, the pitcher hit an inside-the-park home run. It was an inside-the-park grand slam for Mel Stahlmeyer. Uh, he was a pitching coach for the Yankees later on. Uh, his kid, Talmeyer, who... Wasn't as good as he thought he was. Pitching the Matrix for a while, too. You recognize the name. Oh, yes. 1976. Hank Aaron hits a 755th and final career home run. Uh, birthdays on that day. 1930. Chuck Daly, uh, former basketball head coach of the Detroit Pistons and uh, coached the first Dream Team. Uh, was born on that day, 1930. Uh, Chuck Daly did pass away in 2009. July 21st, 1945. The Detroit Tigers and the Philadelphia A's played 24 innings to a 1-1 tie. Lovely. Lovely tie game. 24 innings, though. Great beer sales. 1975, New York Mets' Felix Milan hits four singles. Raced by Joe Torre's four double plays. So that's a stat you don't see very often. 2008, Randy Johnson, the big unit, becomes the first and only pitcher to get 2,000-plus strikeouts with two different teams. He did it for both the Mariners and the Diamondbacks. I forgot he played for the Diamondbacks that long. I totally forgot about that. But, yep, Randy Johnson, 2,000 Ks for two different teams. Birthdays on that day, 1929, Cowboy Bob Orton, professional wrestler, uh, father to Randy Orton. Uh, Cowboy Bob passed away in 2006. 1949, pitcher Al Herboski, the Mad Hungarian. Oh, uh, yes. Remember the Mad Hungarian. You look up Al Herboski uh, on YouTube sometimes. It's pretty good humor, but good pitcher. July July 22, 94, the Mariners play the Red Sox at home as the home team in Fenway Park as the Kingdom in Seattle is being repaired. And in 1997, Greg Maddox throws a complete game with just 76 pitches. 
Greg Maddox was just an incredible pitcher to watch. I go back, I see all the stats clip every now and then about things he did. Just a phenom. Some of you guys who didn't see him play today, you missed a jump. If you ever get a chance to look up any games he's ever been on, if they show him on MLB or on YouTube, well worth the watch. Birthdays, 1932. Bob Reed, American College Football Head Coach, Division III Champs, AF, uh, from 83-86. AFCA Division III Coach of the Year, 83-86 with Augustana Vikings. Was born in Monticello, Iowa. Uh, and he just died this year also. But uh, famous head coach. Birthday is 1965. Michael Sean Hickenbottom, also known as Sean Michaels, the Heartbreak Kid professional wrestler born 1965. July 23rd, 1987. The Boston Red Sox waved Bill Buckner, the GOAT from the year's previous World Series. I was a Mets fan. I don't think he was the GOAT. And I'm not making excuses for it. A lot of my friends were Red Sox fans. If you look back at that game in 86 where the ball went between Buckner's legs that Wookie Wilson hit. Buckner's knees and his health, there's no way the man should have been on the field. He should have been the DH. Extra innings, you put in the defensive replacement. Yes, Bill Buckner, great player, legendary player. He deserves the respect to be out there. But Buckner would tell you he didn't deserve to be out there that time. You put somebody else in. And I think really because of that play, you see a lot of teams go with the defensive replacement in the end of the game because of that. Uh, 1994, the longest baseball rain delay, three hours and 39 minutes between the Giants and the Mets. Uh, the Giants did end up beating the Mets 4-2 on that game that was played in New York. 2009, Mark Burley of Chicago White Sox becomes the 18th pitcher to throw a perfect game in major, the 18th pitcher in major league history, throw a perfect game. Beat the Tampa Bay Rays 5-0. Birthday is 1918, Pee Wee Harold Reese, uh, shortstop for the Dodgers, was born on that day. I died in 1999. I did not know he lived that long. I was pretty amazed. Um, a lot of stuff you see with Pee Wee. It's kind of instrumental. He was a uh, shortstop when Jackie Robinson came up, and Pee Wee and Jackie kind of had a good friendship there. So it's kind of neat to see that. 1936, Don Drysdale, American baseball pitcher uh, for the Dodgers, Cy Young winner in 1962, was born on that day. 1973, Nomar Garcia Parra of the Red Sox. Uh, he's still married to the soccer player, I think, isn't he? The, what's her name? Uh, Mia Hamm. Mia Hamm, yeah. There are two little short people married together. July 24th, 1993. <sighs> New York Mets' Anthony Young loses the record 27 straight game. During the losing streak, he, con- he did convert 12 straight save opportunities and threw 23 and two-thirds consecutive scoreless innings while filling in for Mets closer John Franco. During the streak... Young was 0-14 as a starter and 0-13 as a reliever. The, strike, the streak ended July 28, 1993, when he earned his first win since April 19, 1992. Birthdays, 1964, Barry Bonds. Um, some say home run leader. I say he's the home run leader. Uh, seven-time NL MVP, was born on that day in 1964. July 25th, we got some birthdays. Uh, sweetness, Walter Payton. Uh, was born on that day in 1954. Uh, again, Walter passed away in 99. Uh, I mentioned on Facebook today, too, when we put a thing about Walter. I think watching him and Barry Sanders were just incredible games to watch. I always got excited when the Bears played the Lions on Thanksgiving. You oh, yeah. Two great running backs on that day. It was, oh, wow, what a treat. Uh, 1920, or I'm sorry, July 26th, 1984. Buick Yoon announces pitcher Vita Blue is suspended for the rest of the season for uh, cocaine conviction. So, uh, Vita Blue, that's right. Yes, Vita uh, had a little problem with the nose candy there. Um, 
1991, Expo's Mark Gardner. No hits the Dodgers for nine innings, but loses in the tenth. <laughs> Ouch. It's taking your sister in prom right there. Wow. All right, that's it for sports. On to the music part of history and birthdays. Uh, July 20th, 1917, Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park, 41, is found dead. A suicide by hanging. Bennington was close friends with Chris Cornell, who died a similar fashion two months earlier. 1975, Stephen Van Zandt makes his first appearance in concert with Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Stephen Van Zandt, very good guitarist player, very underrated. Um, kind of gets lost in the shovel of Springsteen's E Street Band and Bruce Springsteen being there. But Stephen Van Zandt, very good guitarist. Birthdays, 1964, speaking of above, Chris Cornell, lead singer of Soundgarden and Audio Slave, is born Christopher John Boyle in Seattle, Washington. Just remember Seattle, Washington for birthdays coming up here. 1966, Stone Gossard, rhythm guitarist for Pearl Jam, was born in Seattle, Washington. I think we've covered that with the grunge scene and everything else for Seattle before. And oh, yes. The proof is in the pudding right here on these birthdays. 1956, Paul Cook, drummer of the Sex Pistols, was born in London. 1947, Carlos Santana is born in Mexico in 1947. Carlos, still playing good guitar today. A very talented, talented man. And 1944, T.G. Shepard is born in Tennessee. July 21st, 1989. Performing on a Club MTV tour at a stop in Bristol, Connecticut. Millie Vanilli's track goes screw when they try to lip-sync the song, Girl, You Know It's True. <laughs> As the line, Girl You Know It's, repeats over and over, the duo panic and scuffle off the stage. It is later revealed that they didn't sing it on our entire album. I, I remember that people were burning the album and being all upset. If you bought the album for what they looked like, that's on you. If you bought it for the way they sounded, who cares what they looked like? You know, but, oh kids. In 1987, Guns N' Roses, Roses released their first album, Appetite for Destruction. It's a landmark debut featuring Welcome to the Jungle and Sweet Child of Mine. Welcome to the Jungle, you hear a lot at sporting arenas uh, for kickoff. I know the Bengals use it all the time because their stadium they refer to as the Jungle. <laughs> 1989, UHF, a comedy film written by and starring Weird Al Yankovic debuts. The soundtrack features many of Yankovic's signature song parodies as well as a few of his original songs. While the film does poorly in the box office due to bad timing at the beginning of the summer just before the blockbuster season, the film gains a huge cult following. UHF stands for Ultra High Frequency, which is the like, channel 48 and 21 on your dial. And if you look at that, back at that movie UHF, um, yeah, you played Kramer and Seinfeld. Michael Richardson starts on there. Uh, Victoria Jackson's on there. And if you look at the movies that came out in 89 that he, he got buried with, it, he just got, it was like, uh, Raiders Law. I mean, just all these hit movies from '89 came out, and he was released at the same time. So if he could have came out a couple weeks before, might have done better. But it is a good cult classic. It's a good Sunday afternoon. It's raining outside. Booger humor movie to watch, like most weird else stuff is. 1969, Blind Faith, a group comprised of Eric Clapton, Steve Winwood, Ginger Baker, and Rich Geach, released their self-titled debut album in the United States. Steve Winwood and Eric Clapton on an album together, Blind Faith. That very good stuff. Very good stuff there. Birthdays. 1972. Corey Pinkhorn is born in Kenosha, Wisconsin. She becomes Corey Cooper when she marries skillet frontman John Cooper in 1997 and joins the band as the keyboardist and guitarist. 1955. Howie Epstein, bassist for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, is born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So you had some Wisconsin birthdays in there. Now we had Seattle before. Now we had Wisconsin birthdays in there. Um, 
Barry Winham, drummer of Herman's Hermits, was born in England, Cheshire, England. 1942, Kim Frawley was born in Los Angeles, California. Flamboyant writer and recorder producer puts together an all-female rock band, The Runaways, in 1975, and later goes on to write for Kiss and Alice Cooper. July 22nd, uh, 2008, Nine Inch Nails frontman Trent Reznor foots the bill for the band's seventh studio album, The Slit, which is released digitally on their website for free with the tag, This One's On Me. Fans wanting a physical copy, however, will have to shell out their own money for a limited edition two months later. Because back then, you got remember kids in 2008, you couldn't just record stuff digitally that well. You could, but the sound was terrible. So you had it for free, you could listen to it online, but you couldn't save it like Spotify nowadays and stuff like that. It was a different world back in 2008. It was tough. Birthdays, 1973. Daniel Jones, instrumentalist for Savage Garden, is born in England, but will be raised in Australia. 1967, Pat Badger, bassist for Extreme, is born in Boston, Massachusetts. And in 1947, Don Henley of a little band called The Eagles is born in Texas. July 23rd, or July 23rd 2002, New Jersey-based alternative rocker My Chemical Romance released their vampire-themed debut album, I Bought You My Bullets, You Bought Me Your Love. Released through an independent punk label, Eyeball Records, is produced by Thursday frontman Jeff Rickley. 2001, Megadeth is banned from playing in Malaysia, where they are, has a concert scheduled for three weeks. They're forced to cancel as authorities say their album contains unsuitable imagery. Megadeth. Wow. Stars in a still owner in the musical film The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, alongside Burt Reynolds. She earns a Globe, Golden Globe nominee for Best Actress in a Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. 1980, Billy Joel gets his first gold record for It's Still Rock and Roll to Me. 1979, Iran's new leader, and I'm not going to try to pronounce that name, um, lots of Y's in it and R's and H's. I'm not going to pronounce it. He bans rock and roll as a corruptive influence on the people, a decision that eventually inspired both the graphic and novel for The Clash's song, Rock the Casbah, which I remember hearing that before. That mm. It had something to do with someone in Iran, but that, that was it. Birthdays, 1971. Blue, bluegrass country performer Allison Krauss is born in Illinois. 1965. Guns N' Roses guitarist Slash is born Saul Hudson in London, England, but moved to L.A. in 1976. 1964, Nick Mesna, drummer of Megadeth, is born in Munich, Germany, son of jazz saxophonist Dan Mesna. I mean, you all knew that one. July 24th, 1978, the film Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band appears in America, and it tanks hard. It becomes a legendary Hollywood flop, despite appearances from Peter Frampton, Billy Preston, Aerosmith, and the Bee Gees. Peter Frampton, I wouldn't watch him play in my backyard. I have no time for him. 1999. Now, on this next one, I'm not spelling words. This is just a lot of initials in these bands coming up here. The rapper Trench from Naughty by Nature's, who did the song OPP, marries Peppa of South End Peppa in a ceremony officiated by Reverend Run of Run DMC. <laughs> who says it's the first time a rapper has married two rappers. Among the guests are Salt, Queen Latifah, and Victoria A. Fox. The couple divorced in 2001 with Peppa alleging abuse. 
1987, the movie La Bamba, a somewhat fictional biography of Latin rock star Richie Valens opens in the U.S. It's generally well-received, especially the soundtrack by Los Lobos. Lou Diamond Phillips stars as Valens, who died in an infamous plane crash that killed, that killed Buddy Holly and the Big Bopper. Marshall Crenshaw appears as Buddy Holly, and Brian Setzer as Eddie Cochran. I did not know, I have never seen the movie. I, hmm. I did, I never realized it was Brian Setzer in there. It's been so long. Birthday is 1934. Jazz drummer Rudy Collins, who performed with the likes of Dizzy Gillespie and Cab Calloway, was born in New York City. July 25th, 2010. John Fogarty performs center field at the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremonies where he donates a guitar shaped like a baseball bat. If you get a chance to look that up, that picture, it was incredible. It's a pretty cool looking guitar. 1980, ACDC releases Back in Black, their first album without lead singer Bon Scott, who died five months earlier. In 1983, Metallica releases their debut album, Kill Em All, three months after parting ways with guitarist Dave Mustaine, who went on to form Megadeth, which we covered earlier. 1980, the late Eric Carr made his debut as Kiss Drummer. Birthdays, 1941, guitarist Manny Carlton of Nazareth is born in Spain. 1987, July 26, 1987. With Cold War winding down, American export Billy Joel plays a concert in Leningrad. That's in the Soviet Union. Something that would be impossible a few years earlier. He later released a show, and it's called Concert in Russian. Um, I've, I have the album. It's pretty cool. He plays uh, Back in the USSR by the Beatles. Um, he does uh, some Dylan stuff on there. It's really kind of a cool album. There was a issue once I saw in a documentary about Billy Joel's concerts over there. At one time in the song, he wanted them to turn the lights out because in the song, you know, turn the lights out. They wouldn't. And he just went, Billy just lost it with this because they didn't want to have the crowd dark and oh, they didn't know what the crowd would do. And because they were also new to this American way, but when Billy Joel's your first shot at rock music, it's, it's a nice, easy way into it, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 1986, Peter Gabriel hits number one in the U.S. with Sledgehammer, bumping out his old band Genesis with Invisible Touch out of the top spot. 2003, Limp Biscuit appear. At the Hawthorne Racetrack in Chicago as part of Metallica's summer tour with the Deftones, Linkin Park, and Mudvayne. But the crowd soon shows that they feel about frontman Fred Durst and his crew as the band is booed and Durst is pelted with coins and bottles, leading him to launch into the homophobic taunts. As a result, Limp Biscuit leaves the stage after 30 minutes and only six songs, but not before Durst challenges audience members to a fight. 1976, Ted Nugent's self-titled album is Certified Gold, eventually selling over 2 million copies. 1975, the Eagles land their first number one album with One of Those Nights. It's number one in the U.S. Their fourth album, it stays at the top of the charts for five weeks. Birthdays, 1961, singer-songwriter Gary Sharon is born in Massachusetts, best known for his work with Extreme. He did do that one album with Van Halen, which sounded more like an Extreme album than a Van Halen album. But that was Van Halen 3 in 1997 that was released. 1949, Roger Taylor, drummer of Queen, is born in Norfolk, England. And 1943, Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones is born Michael Philip Jagger in Kent, England. And that's it for sports and music birthdays in history. Mm. A favorite of many, many people, the Led Zeppelin's album Physical Graffiti. And... I'm going to pull up my notes here. The fact that this album went, I think, 16 times platinum 
16. Yes. 16 times platinum uh, is incredible, first of all. It was released on February 24, 1975. And the reason I picked it today, it's a, it's a total length of 82 minutes and 59 seconds, released on their very own Swan Song label with producer Jimmy Page. It's the sixth studio album by Led Zeppelin. And so the total playing time covered just under three sides of an LP. So they decided to expand it into a double by including some previously unreleased tracks from sessions from earlier albums to fill it up to a full two album double LP set. And uh, they essentially had side A, side or side one, side two, side three, and side four. But when they were done recording, they only had enough for essentially sides one, two, and three. So they used some additional tracks to fill it up and they released it that way. I'm going to go through the, uh, the songs here, of course. Side one, uh, Custard Pie. Of course, the first take was played at a faster tempo than the finished version. And uh, let me pull it up here. Interesting thing is they, they put this together and released this album with the track listings intermixed the new stuff along with the old things. Uh, so side one originally was Custard Pie. Side, uh, side one, song two was The Rover, which wasn't a fresh song, but was taken from a previous album, The Houses of the Holy, uh, released, uh, recorded three years earlier, actually, The Rover. And then song three was In My Time of Dying. Now, that was a fresh title. On side two was Houses of the Holy, which was also recorded three years earlier. It was recorded for the album to be the title track of Houses of the Holy. Didn't make it as some other songs were stronger on that album, so they shelved it and released it here on Physical Graffiti. Song two on side two was Trampled Underfoot, a fresh song, and Cashmere, a fresh song. Side three, the song In the Light was very good. Bronier R is next. Now that was recorded at the studio in outside of London called Bronier R. It was a cottage they recorded at. Actually uh, named a song after it and inserted it here into this. And this was song was this recording was about five years old at the time. They threw it in. It's only two minutes and six seconds long. Then there was Down by the Seaside. And then that was another one from Led Zeppelin IV that didn't make the recording. And then 10 Years Gone. Side four, track one was Night Flight. That was taken from Led Zeppelin IV that didn't make the Led Zeppelin IV album. Song two was the Wanton Song. Boogie with Stew uh, also was meant to be on that Led Zeppelin IV album. Didn't cut it. Jimmy Page said that I didn't think it was worthy to be on a studio, uh, a, a single, on an actual album. But later when they had this extra space to fill up, they threw it on it. It was 3 minutes 51 seconds long, and they were able to get it on there. Song 4 was Black Country Woman. That was also done back in the Houses of the Holy Time. And then 
the album sings uh, wraps up with Sick Again. Now the personnel, John Bonham on drums, later died in 1980. Uh, uh, John Bonham and John Paul Jones on bass guitar also played the keyboards, acoustic guitar, and mandolin. Various arrangements as well. Jimmy Page did all the electric uh, electric guitars. Robert Plant on lead vocals and harmonica. Now the song Boogie with Stew, there was a piano piece that was actually done by Ian Stewart uh, appeared appeared on that. Now the interesting thing about this album, it is, it was the first album ever to go platinum before it was actually released, before it dropped. So these were advanced orders taken back in 1975. It sold a million copies in the U.S. and went platinum before the album dropped. I did not know that. Kind of like today's stuff with the buying online and it's, it, stuff like that. Very, you hear those numbers today, but not back in the 70s. It, very strange. And so uh, the difference in this album also is that it covered a range style, a strange range of styles, including some hard rock, progressive rock, rock and roll, and folk. Now... Being that it was four album, two albums on four sides, when 1987 rolled around, the record label wanted to release it as a CD. And they said, heck, let's throw it on two CDs, make it a double CD, and release it. Well, they never got the approval from the band or input that they were doing this from the band. So what they used was second and third generation tapes of the album. Jimmy Page did not like it and basically threw a fit and he says you can't release this crap on a CD. And this was in 1987. Page says I'll redo it myself. Remixed all the tracks and released it officially with his blessing on it. This this is Jimmy Page. We're talking a perfectionist here, but uh, it is said it should be written by Jimmy Page. It, it should have been. They, he said, "You never even uh, talked to us before you released this uh, this CD version." And um, it, was, it was very interesting. Now, a couple of notes here. "In My Time of Dying" was actually based on a traditional song that Bob Dylan recorded in his debut album in 1962. Trampled Underfoot started off as a jam session. Bonham got involved with some drums. They put that together as well. The song Cashmere, very Eastern music there, was started off as a, uh, it was first attempted as an instrumental demo. But Robert Plant wrote some lyrics uh, while on holiday in Morocco. And there we go with Cashmere. That's one of those songs I think when they played live, they always had that in their set list. Yep. Was Cashmere. Um, Down by the Seaside was originally a track written as an acoustic track. That song was actually influenced by Neil Young. Page and Bonham led the arranging, changing tempo from slow to fast and then back again. The song Ten Years Gone was mostly composed by Robert Plant about an old love affair. Um, they brought that in with some in instrumental piece from Page to make the song Ten Years Gone. Night Flight. 
Plant wrote the lyrics after reading a news headline entitled Nuclear Damage Test Threat and wondered why there seemed to be little, very little peace and love in the world. So he wrote the song Night Flight. And Boogie with Stu once again was a jam session with the Rolling Stones pianist uh, Ian, Stenner, Ian Stewart. And so that's where they got that. Based on the Richie Valen song, Ooh, My Head, recorded in 1971. And so, very interesting, uh, interesting, one of my favorites. Now, this album cover, the title that we've got here, the cover that's showing on the screen right now, it's a picture in a two it's a two-side slot. It's a, in, it's a photo taken, a real-life photo in Manhattan. And the address there is, is, the street address is 96 and 98 East 8th Street in Manhattan is the actual photo location of where that took place. The song Sick Again was written by Page and Plant about their 1973, 1973 tour and their experience with meeting groupies. The track was driven by Bonham's drumming and Page's guitar riffs. The arrangement had been worked out before recording and was basically a straightforward to put down on tape. We'll get a picture of that up on Facebook later in that album cover. We'll have uh, our staff yes, do that. This, the staff will do that. It was, it was very good. And so the uh, up until this point, Led Zeppelin's albums were released on Atlantic Records, and then they would later distribute. But this was actually on Swan Song, Led Zeppelin's own uh, recording. And the other thing I was going to mention here before we wrap up the episode is the packaging. The packaging uh, one uh, was nominated for several awards and actually won some awards too with the packaging that they did on this album called Physical Graffiti. And it all uh, that dealt, and then they also so later on they were able to do in 19, uh, 2015 an extended remastered version was uh, was re was issued. The reissue was released with an altered color version of the original album's artwork as its bonus disc cover. And so that's physical graffiti. Led Zeppelin's sixth studio album, the double LP, and the song that we played here earlier was In My Time of Dying, and we'll intro on that as well. I, I just got some uh, breaking news here. I was, not that I was ignoring what you're talking about, but I was checking up our stuff on Facebook. Um, about an hour ago, TV host Regis Philbin has passed away. Um, well, Regis... Was a big sports guy. He was a big Notre Dame fan. Um, with his talk shows, had a lot of musical guests on there. So I'll have more on our Facebook page too. But uh, Regis Philbin, age 88, has passed away. Interesting. Um, and now, that is very interesting news here yeah. as it just breaks uh, today. Today's uh, July 25th. Is there yes. anything more than for the for the show? We'll drop this on Anchor on 9 a.m. on Sunday, of course. Yeah, it's looking like on our Facebook page, it show might replay there again, too. I know um, we've had many comments and concerns on the page that my voice ain't coming over good. Again, we'll have production look into that. Our crack staff will look into that. If not, of course, my velvet tones, we all know what they like. But you should hear it on the Anchor part better on Sunday. You know, kind of like watching a Twins game. You mute Dick Bramer because it's annoying, but you listen to Dan Glenn on the radio. 
you could rewatch this tomorrow and let's do it on Anchor. It'll be better. Very good. And also feel free to leave your comments uh, and questions uh, below and feel free to share. That's our episode for this week. All right, let's go Mets.